Well, uh, let me add uh, my welcome to that of uh, my colleague Andrew Reese's earlier in the service. Uh, you're very, very welcome indeed. Uh, look, especially if you're here for the first time, we want to welcome you. You won't know that we're in the middle of a series looking at uh, the big question of suffering, trying to look at suffering from a biblical perspective, from a Christian uh, viewpoint. And um, so we come to the fourth in a series of five. And uh, this week we're looking at God, uh, knowing God through suffering. Um, you uh, might find it helpful to dig out the, uh, the handout that I've had produced for us um, uh, that you should find uh, in your notice sheet and uh, in your service order. Um, that will help you as we go through, I think. So do ho- hold on to that. And then let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles too, uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the reading that Harold read for us just a little bit earlier. Page 1158 is the uh, page number, 1158, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 1 to 11. Let me ask you if you believe in any way that we can gain through suffering. I take the, the current economic crisis. Great misery has resulted from the recession that we've found ourselves plunged into in these last months. People have lost their jobs, they've had their homes repossessed, they've been burdened with debt. The stress that has uh, been uh, piled onto individuals and families and the misery it has caused is a a terrible thing. However, can we not see that the credit crisis could be the only way that this nation could learn learn some important lessons that it needs to learn? Uh, We may not learn them, but potentially as a nation will we learn through this crisis to see the danger of racking up ever-increasing debt? living on credit, spending what we don't have, living a highly materialistic lifestyle. Could it be that through this uh, real time of hardship, some will come to their senses and not only act to change their credit rating, but change their whole outlook on life? Could some come to the realisation that we are spiritually bankrupt without the Lord? If that happened, that would be a good thing, wouldn't it? It would be an amazing thing if it happened for us as a nation, but even if it happened to individuals, it would be a good thing. Now, we do not for one minute rub our hands together with glee at the present crisis, but can you see that it might bring some to know Jesus Christ, which is a good thing? See, suffering is sometimes the only way we will listen to God. As C.S. Lewis so famously wrote, and many of you will know this quote, but for those who don't, it's worth quoting C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How we assess the value of suffering will, of course, largely depend on our ultimate aim in life. If our aim in life is to be happy, and by that we mean comfortable, uh, materialistic, emotionally, physically well off, If that is our aim in life, then of course suffering is just a pain in the neck. It can only ruin life. Yet even uh, a moment's thought will demonstrate that none of us actually believe that pain is completely worthless, even if we have a very hedonistic lifestyle. No pain, no gain, we say as we work out. It is necessary to endure pain to be in good shape physically. We kind of know that. For many here to have climbed the Uh, the career ladder meant making painful sacrifices. See, pain can be useful, but our aim in life will determine whether we consider that there is any benefit really in our suffering. So what should the Christian aim for 
life, uh, be in life. And what God's aim for us is that we might become more like Jesus. Uh, Kate was teaching the, the children Romans 8.28. Well, the next verse, Romans 8.39, Paul says that we have been chosen uh, by God to be, quote, conformed to the likeness of his Son. That is what I'm a Christian for, to become more like Jesus, to, to, to glorify God by becoming more like Jesus. As a Christian, then, I should want to become more like Jesus. That will be good for me. Not just in the way that spinach is good for me or bitter medicine is good for me, but because becoming like Jesus is the very best thing for me. I mean, I wonder if we believe that. To become more and more like Jesus is to become more and more content and satisfied. To become more like Jesus is to become closer to God. And to become like Jesus is to discover what I am made for. As I get to know God better and become more like him, I will find real deep satisfaction. I will find myself, to use the current phrase. So let me ask you again, do you believe in any way that we can gain through suffering? Indeed, is it true that I will learn through suffering? Are there some things that I will learn through suffering that I would not learn any other way? Well, this morning, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we will see that we can benefit from suffering. Now, please don't mishear me. I don't say this uh, uh, unthoughtfully. Please remember that uh, all that's been said in the previous three weeks, some of you won't have been here, so you won't have heard it, but... We've said in week one, living in a fallen world of pain and death is a result of mankind's rebellion against God. If you are suffering right now, and I know many are, I am not presenting a twisted Christian masochism that tells you, indeed encourages you, to enjoy your suffering. That's not it at all. But what I am asking this morning is whether you can conceive that there are some things you will gain through suffering that you could not possibly gain any other way. Well, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says just that. Uh, we're on point one now on our uh, handouts, and it is this. Christian suffering is the only way I can know the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Look how Paul describes God in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Isn't it a wonderful description of God? So personal, so, so tender. The Father of compassion and the God who comforts is the one who, who comes alongside us in our, in our troubles. Indeed, verse 4, he comes alongside us, he comforts us in, in all our troubles. It's a great thing to know, isn't it? God is not a distant God. Now, sometimes I think Christians do think that about God, don't they? Um, sometimes when I've spoken to Christians, I remember some years ago speaking to somebody and I said, I said um, uh, how's it going? They said, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, everything's going really well for us. Like, we're in a really good place as a family and, uh, and you know, everything's going well for us at the moment and I'm just waiting for God to change it all. Almost this thought that God, you know, he doesn't quite enjoy us enjoying life and he's going to twist it a bit. Christians can think like that. Well, God is not a distant God. He's not like that at all. And uh, here we see that he is a father of compassion, a God who comforts us. And this is not simply the comfort of knowing that God cares. Yes, that's true. It's not even just believing that he knows best. That's true as well. What Paul is speaking of here is the personal comfort of God. Don Carson describes it as the, the movement of God on the soul. 
So as I suffer, I experience his work in me in the midst of suffering. I can, through suffering, gain a profound sense of his love, of delight in his presence, of real deep change within, of healing and restoring in and through suffering. What this is speaking of is an actual strengthening to cope with suffering. Him actually working in me that way, not just knowing he's there, but really working in me. That's what he does. Now, if you are hurting this morning, know that this is the one true God, the living God, the God of the Bible. As we thought last week, as we looked at the cross, God knows what it is to suffer. He suffered in every way as we have. Here we see even more, his very nature is fatherly compassion and gracious comfort. He will help us in our suffering, come right into us and be there with us. It's a marvellous description of God. But actually, what Paul is doing here is something even more amazing. Here's the thing. Paul has written this to say we cannot possibly know the God of all comfort and the Father of compassion until we have experienced distress and trouble and suffering. How can I possibly know his comfort if nothing has ever gone wrong for me? Oh yeah, I can know this about him, but it's quite different to know this personally, isn't it? So do you see, through suffering, I actually come to know God better. This aspect of his character I cannot know without him suffering. Imagine um, somebody at work that you know. They might be brilliant in their field and you might see them as, as fantastic at their job. They might be great at admin. They, they might be good at managing. They, you know all these things about them. They seem a fairly nice character. Uh, but there's something you never knew about them. Somebody might have told you that they were very kind but you never really knew that you never really saw that and then you went through some time of suffering and they came alongside you and put their hand upon you and and just were there for you in the most kind and gracious way suddenly you know something more about them that you didn't actually know before do you see that's how it is without God as we suffer Uh, Jerry Sitzer says something uh, very similar in this book this book that we've uh, held up every week um, uh, since we started this is one of the two books that we're encouraging you to read, it's called A Grace Disguised. I, I want to still encourage you to read it, but we've run out of copies, so we're trying to get hold of some more. Uh, written, uh, for those who haven't been here over the last few weeks, let me explain. Written by Jerry Sitzer after three members of his family were killed in a car crash. He was in the car along with all his family. His mother, his wife, and one of his daughters died uh, in the uh, car crash, a car crash that was caused by the, uh, a drunk driver. And he says this, Despite the fact that I'd been a Christian for many years before the accident, since then, God has become a living reality to me as never before. Uh, The Welsh hymn writer and evangelist, William Williams, it's a great name, it's my father's name actually, I don't know what he's named after, I don't think he was. Anyway, the the, the Welsh hymn writer, evangelist, uh, William Williams, testified that he gained on his deathbed more knowledge of himself and more knowledge of, of the goodness of God than during the previous 40 years of his life. Do you see, through suffering and hardship, we come to know God in a way that we could not know him without suffering. I think of a guy in his 20s who some years ago had the the hardest time during a summer of Christian mission abroad. So he'd given up his summer to serve the Lord abroad. He was uh, subject, uh, while he was there, to, to verbal abuse from those that he was trying to reach out to. He often felt in danger physically. 
He was desperately lonely in another country, a a different culture, away from his family and friends. Every day he found himself counting down the days until he could return home. One of the hardest experiences of his life. But when he got home and reflected on the experience, he said this, It's been tough, but I wouldn't change it for the world because through it all I came to know the Lord as I've never known him before. See, suffering is the only way I can know the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And from that come many other benefits, as we'll see. See, as I know God's comfort in suffering, then the second point on the sheet, suffering engenders compassion and empathy in us and makes us better able to help others. It's verse 4, but I'll read from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Again, to quote uh, Jerry Sitzer, he says this, Through pain we find ourselves more sensitive to the pain of others and more aware of the darkness that envelops our world. You see, having been comforted by God in our troubles, as he has come alongside us and done this remarkable work in us, we become more equipped to help others in their troubles. As we have received comfort from him, we comfort others. Uh, Indeed, we should become more compassionate and kind and thoughtful, more like our God, because we have experienced that. That's verse 4. Allow me, uh, if you will, to be autobiographical for a moment. Uh, many of you will know, uh, if not all of you, that uh, Caroline and I have three children, but uh, we had great trouble having children. Indeed, we thought uh, Caroline would never conceive. We tried for a baby for seven years. Uh, after a year of trying, when we realised it wasn't going to be straightforward, we, we prayed. We prayed every day for six years for us to have children. Uh, during that time, we came to the point where we thought we'd never have them. Uh, but it was a very painful experience. I'll never forget Caroline crying herself to sleep at nights. I want to say it was undoubtedly a more difficult time for Caroline, but I, I, it was difficult for me in, in a number of ways, not least for seeing the pain that she was going through. It was tough, but, but in time we came to accept that that was the Lord's will for us and we believed that he had other things for us. It wasn't easy, but we can say that the Lord comforted us. But here's the reason for telling you about this. Since then, we have found that the Lord has used our suffering to help others who are suffering through childlessness again and again. They've come to see us. He's used us in other ways as well because through our struggles we came to know the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort in a way we couldn't have known without suffering. I trust it's made us more compassionate anyway so we help others in other ways. We've been able to speak of his comfort to others. Verse 4, the God of all comfort comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others in any trouble with the comfort we've received from him. Now let me uh, quote uh, Don Carson in the other book that we've been encouraging people to read, uh, How Long, O Lord. Uh, He says this, You do not have to serve as a pastor for many years before you find the people who can help others in grief and they are almost always those who have grieved themselves. Now, do you see how important this is? Your suffering need never be in vain. We're going to say more of this a bit later on, but your suffering need never be in vain. I'm not saying at this point that it's good that you've suffered in any way, but your suffering will be used, if you will allow, 
It will be used to make you more fruitful in Christian ministry. But more than that, more tender, more sympathetic, more compassionate, more like your God. Not to say that your suffering is good, but it need not be useless and needless. Suffering then is the only way I can know the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Suffering secondly engenders compassion and empathy in us and makes us better able to help others. And then over the page, uh, if you're following in the handout, number three, Christian suffering is part of being in Christ as is knowing his comfort. It's verse five. Look at how Paul writes this verse. Verse five, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. The ESV writes it this way, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Paul assumes that his readers know this fundamental Christian truth, namely that to be Christian, to be in Christ, to be connected to Christ, means that there is a solidarity between Christ and us. We are joined to Christ in the most intimate way and therefore we will share in the sufferings of Christ, he says. Because Christ suffered, we will suffer if we are joined to him. Now Paul assumes that Christians know that, verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives. It seems to me though that a good number of Christians are under the misapprehension that becoming a Christian will make life easier, make life better, easier in that sense. But the Christian is called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and his way was a way of suffering. And let me say to you, if you if you're come along, you're investigating the Christian life, if you want an easy life, don't become a Christian. You don't often hear vicars telling people not to become Christians. I'm not telling you not to. I'm just saying, if you want an easy life, don't become a Christian. It's a fantastic life. It's wonderful. It's not easy. Hear it from the lips of Jesus. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So you see, Christians sharing the suffering of Christ... We suffer just because we're Christians sometimes, not to mention the suffering that will come upon us just because we're human, that all people suffer. Again, let me quote from Don Carson. He says this, Many of us have not adequately reflected on the cross. We've been used to thinking of the cross as our means of salvation. We've not thought much about what it means to take up our cross and die daily or fill up the sufferings of Christ. For these and other reasons, we Christians may respond to pain and suffering in much the same way our pagan neighbours do. You see, if I'm to become like Christ, I must suffer, for he suffered. But being connected to Christ is not all pain and no gain. See, verse 5, just as we are connected to Christ's suffering, so also we will be connected to his comfort His comfort overflows. The ESV writes it this way, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We've already seen that in verse 3 and 4. Fourth, uh, suffering is never in vain, verse 6. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Again, Paul is making the point that Christian suffering has a purpose. That's wonderfully reassuring, isn't it? The world's view of suffering is that it's a dead end. There is no point to it. But Christians should have a different outlook on suffering. 
Just look at the cross. The sufferings of Jesus were sufferings with a purpose. When Jesus died, he died to achieve something. Now Paul knows the same is true when Christians suffer. Paul, I think, is speaking here particularly of his suffering for preaching the gospel. So he says in verse 6, when he suffers for sharing the gospel, when I suffer, when I share the gospel, then it's for the salvation of men and women. It's for a reason. Something good comes out of it. And then he goes on in the second half of verse 6 and says, when we're comforted through suffering, then Christians benefit as well. He's saying you win both ways. If you suffer for being a Christian, for, for, for declaring the gospel, you will benefit. And then he says, and actually if you come through the suffering, then others benefit as well. Why? Well, they're encouraged to keep going in the Christian life as they suffer the same things. It's the end of verse 6. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. The point is straightforward, really. To see another Christian suffer and come through it encourages me that I can cope with suffering and come through it. Because I follow the same God who comforts me in my troubles. And so, end of verse 6, that produces in me patient endurance through troubles and hardship. I read this book some time ago. I loved reading it. The biography of the great Christian preacher Charles Simeon. Many of us will have heard of him. think he's a great preacher. Great Christian man of the past. He was vicar of Trinity Church in Cambridge at the end of the 18th and beginning of the 19th centuries. What if you know Simeon had to endure great suffering as the vicar of that church? There was huge opposition to his being appointed vicar of Trinity. So much so that when he wanted to begin a new evening service, the church wardens locked him out of the church. The regular morning services weren't any easier. Members of the congregation didn't like him and didn't like what he was doing, so they refused to attend the church and they locked the pews. You know, it was in those days when there was high pews and you could lock them. And they locked the pews so that new members of the congregation were, f- were forced to stand in the aisles throughout the service. They didn't have anywhere to sit down. They had to stand up the whole way through. They wouldn't go themselves, wouldn't let anyone else go. Undergraduates from the university would go along to the services just to heckle and disrupt Simeon. As he got up to preach, there they were shouting at him. It wasn't just verbal. At a time, Simeon feared for his life. And, and that kind of persecution went on for ten years. Ten years of suffering for the gospel. Now, do you know what it did for me when I read this book? It made me determined to be bolder. I'm glad that no one's heckling. But if you did, it would make me bolder and I would keep going. (laughs) It made me to be ready for the fight. If the church wardens lock me out, I'll climb in through the windows. (laughs) It put my petty little struggles into perspective. In short, it inspired me to be sold out for Jesus. See, that's the second half of verse 6. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. See, he was comforted with the, with the power of God to keep going. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Our suffering is never in vain. Uh, fifth, suffering is brought upon us so that we will learn dependence on God. It's verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. Then listen. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Uh, These words are such an insight into Paul's life and ministry. Paul suffered 
And he says of his suffering, this very particular suffering in in the province of Asia, he says in verse 8, we are under great pressure. The word pressure is weighed down. It's the idea of having this this heavy, heavy load, heavy burden upon him. And he says it was great pressure, great meaning that it surpasses description. I can't compare this suffering to anything else, he says. That's why, verse 8, it was far beyond our ability to endure. I I couldn't cope with it on my own. Beyond my power to cope. So much so, verse 8, we despaired of life itself. It's vivid language, isn't it? Paul could see no way out of his predicament. He was at his wit's end, at the end of his tether. He thought his time was up, verse 9. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. Uh, the, use of the, the use of the perfect tense here suggests that the death penalty had already been passed. It was just a matter of time before he was going to be executed. Now, do you get the picture? Paul is saying that what he suffered was too much for him to bear. Some of you will know my mum's uh, suffering at the moment with uh, cancer. I went to see her on, on Friday. And uh, she uh, said to me then and before, I just don't know how I can carry on because of the chemotherapy. She doesn't know how she can keep going. She's not even halfway through the treatment. It's almost unbearable. That's what Paul's saying. When you suffer like that, where do you turn to? Paul says that suffering came upon him to make him rely on the God who raises people from the dead. Verse 9. See, when we go through unbearable suffering, there is only one place we can turn to, the Lord who raises the dead. Now, of course, we love life to be going well. I love life to be going well. We love it when the sun shines. Uh, But are you like me? When things are going well, when everything's bright and cheery and, you know, I haven't got a trouble in the world, I rely less on the Lord. Isn't that odd? Here he is, giving me all these wonderful blessings, life is going well, and I I sort of spend less time with him. When the sun is shining, I don't feel my sense of of my own inadequacy or or how needy I am. I need the Lord because he gives me every breath I take. But I kind of feel when things are going well that I'm a king, I can take on the world, just me. Do you feel like that? It takes suffering and hardship and trouble to to bring us to our knees, to make us rely on the Lord, doesn't it? Fifth, suffering teaches us to really believe and experience the resurrection power of God. Again, it's verse 8 and 9. It's the end of verse 8, he says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. After acute suffering, the resurrection will not remain a merely intellectual doctrine. Just put yourself in Paul's shoes for a moment. There in Asia, in the province of Asia, he has suffered terribly. For him, he thought he was on death row. You're quite convinced you're going to die. It's just a matter of time. Does that experience not bring you to a belief in the resurrection? Not just as a doctrine that you believe, I believe I'm going to be raised one day, but as something you you have to believe, that you trust in, you you cling on to with all your might. I meet some remarkable people in this job. People that no one else really knows very much about, but it's a privilege for me because so often I meet them when they're going through the hardest of times. Let me tell you about two of them. Two of the most impressive Christians I've ever met. The first was a a young man, 17 years old, 
uh, his name Ashley Joseph. The other, uh, a woman in her late 50s, her name Tracy Trinder. Uh, Both of them died of cancer some years ago before I came here. As I spent time with both of them in their last days, they both displayed the most remarkable certainty in the resurrection. Uh, When people went into um, uh, to Tracy's uh, uh, room in the hospice, uh, they came out and they said things like this to me. They said, um, there's such peace in that room. She's an amazing woman. How is it that she's got such confidence that that she's going to be all right after she dies? (sighs) Amazing. Both of those people, Ashley and Tracy, both of them believed in the resurrection in a way that I don't because they had to. That's all they had. See, suffering teaches us to believe in the resurrection and that is life-changing. And should the Lord bring us through real suffering, it gives us an experience of his resurrection power. Look at what Paul says in verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. In verse 9, he writes of the God who raises the dead. Now you see, for all real Christians, the resurrection of the dead is a past reality and a future certainty. For all real Christians, we believe that um, Jesus rose from the dead. It is a past reality. And we believe that uh, by trusting in Christ, we will rise from the dead one day, on that final day. All real Christians believe that. But through suffering, Paul knew the power of the resurrection in his present experience. See, verse 10, he has delivered us. See, for Paul to be delivered from death was like being raised from the dead. He was so sure he was going to die in Asia, and then he came through it. Paul had experienced the power of the resurrection in his life. And when we have that measure of certainty in God's power, it leaves us sold out for Christ, doesn't it? Because nothing can harm me. I was hearing only this week of someone who, who nearly died as a young man. The Lord brought him through and it profoundly affected the rest of his life. He saw every day as an extra day that he'd been given to live in the Lord's service. He lived as if he was sold out for Christ because he knew the Lord had raised him from death and he had confidence that then in the resurrection beyond the grave, so what could bother him now? And let's be honest, most of us hedge our bets in the Christian life. Most of us hold back a little, just in case it's not true. I mean, I do believe in the resurrection, but if I risk everything on it, and it turns out that this gospel thing is not true, I've wasted my life, so I'd better invest a little bit in this life too. Is that right? But being completely certain of the resurrection is totally liberating for gospel living. Paul got that through suffering and and then being delivered by the Lord. Suffering then teaches us to really believe and experience the resurrection power of God. And seven, suffering can produce gratitude to God. Look at verse 11. Well, I'll read from verse 10. He's delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answers to the prayers of many. See, when we come through hardship, we are thankful to the Lord, aren't we? Sometimes it's not even coming through it in the way we thought we'd come through it. It's simply being sustained in it. Often people say that to me. I don't know how I'm coping with this. They say, you know, if if I'd been told I had to go through this, I'd have never believed I could. Well, it must be him. 
See, there's nothing like real suffering to unite a church in prayer, is there? At a previous church I was involved in, a child was taken seriously ill and we all prayed. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And I know that this church has experienced things like that years ago. It's true of personal prayer, isn't it? There's nothing like hardship and difficulty to make me pray. And when we pray and we see prayers like that answered, are we not thankful? Thankful from the bottom of our heart? See, suffering can make us thankful and full of gratitude in a way that we aren't when everything's going well. Now, do you see how suffering is not wasted or need not be? How suffering need not be pointless? How we can come to know God through suffering? Again, listen to, uh, to Don Carson uh, as he writes on this. Millions of Christians have been enabled by God's grace to look back on terrible sorrow and thank God for what they've learned. None of this means the sorrow is pleasant. None of this argues that the means of sorrow are all intrinsically good. None of this means that this version of the end justifies the means constitutes a solution to the problem of evil and suffering. I am saying only that the good results that often take place must be borne in mind. People can look back and give thanks for what they've learned through suffering. A previous vicar of mine used to say, suffering makes, makes us better or bitter. Better or bitter. We can gain through suffering. It can wake us up to God. It can unlock the door of the heart. It can give us otherwise unknown experiences of God. It can make us rely on the Lord. It can give us great confidence in our God. It can make us fruitful in his service. It can develop our character. It can make us better or bitter. And so uh, Jerry Sitzer says of much suffering, we cannot change the situation, but we can allow the situation to change us. Let's pray together. Well, let me uh, leave a moment of silence for you to... uh, respond to all that we've heard maybe you're suffering maybe you know others who are and you want to pray uh, very personally in view of the things we've heard now